We welcome you to another edition of Being Well Informed. My name is Claudia Barber. I'm your host of this educational podcast that we present to you weekly. And uh, today is no exception. We have an exciting guest that we are looking forward to discussing the topic of the digital divide. Dr. Ebony Shockley, welcome to Being Well Informed. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's certainly an honor to discuss a topic that's so dear to my heart. Wonderful. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Shockley. Sure. Um, So my name is Ebony Terrell Shockley. I am an educator and activist, uh, certainly an advocate for education and in particular digital education. Um, I sort of got my start in education, being a product of educators. I'm a fourth generation educator. And as a former science teacher, um, it was really important to make sure that my students had access to digital resources uh, in a way that aligned with their passions um, and their future trajectories. I followed those students from middle school to high school and actually even to college. uh, I taught some of my students when they were 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 because their senior year when I was the technology coordinator, um, I started my PhD. And so um, I moved into a higher role and led technology initiatives in that district at multiple levels. And um, and here I am uh, today leading educator preparation for um, a local university. So yes. wonderful. And that university is the University of Maryland. It is statewide. That's a national university. (laughs) So that's very impressive. Very, very impressive. So what got you started in understanding more about the digital divide and how important is that topic as a trending education topic today? You know, um, what sort of sparked my interest in the digital divide um, is visiting different countries and studying abroad and also having the option and the opportunity to be able to travel to areas that um, are diverse areas um, and areas that are suburban, areas that are rural and areas that are more metropolitan and paying attention to infrastructure um, and, and, and especially in schools and noticing a difference in what was available um, and what's available then often determines what's possible. Um, I am driven by inequity. And by that, I mean trying to close various opportunity gaps. And for sure, the digital divide is an opportunity gap. So when you when you use the word digital uh, divide, what are you referencing? Thank you for that question. So the digital divide is really the difference between two or more groups and the ways that those groups have access um, to or have the ability to um, engage and connect, to have interconnectivity. And <clears throat> those are, there are social and economic and cultural implications as a result of, of those differences. So the access to modern technology, um, the difference between those who have it and those who do not. So when you say the haves and the have nots, are you only talking about internet access or something beyond that? So I really appreciate that. So it's not only internet access, it can be access to telephones, mobile devices, television, personal computers, um, but then of course also internet connectivity. 
So now let's walk this through. If you're in a pandemic and they shut the schools down, now how are people that don't have internet connections going to get their homework? So there are extreme differences that remain as a result of what the COVID-19 pandemic really laid bare for us. Um, and I introduce myself as someone who really is driven by inequity and gaps. So I mentioned opportunity gaps. There's a homework gap as well. And by that, I mean, you know, the opportunity for learners, for children, pre-K to 12, to access their homework. The, as, as long as school is online um, and there's no access to school, um, then you have learning loss that occurs. And I believe the World Bank estimated like $13 trillion um, or something like that um, was like the, the, the difference or the, the bill, if you will, um, that, that we would pay uh, as a society for not closing that gap. So homework is essential to school because homework connects to school and it makes students, um, it, it creates digital, more digital inequity and really um, just makes that, that gap even more and more pervasive. You know, we make a lot of claims about like uh, computers, for example, and we say stuff like, oh, computers are ubiquitous in society. Well, not really, if everyone doesn't have one. Um, and students who are experiencing these gaps, they lose a competitive edge. Um, mm. It starts really early. So, yeah. so when you say they're losing a competitive edge, are you suggesting by the job market, access to the job market, access to online job applications, um, uh, library? But some people still have access to libraries, do they not? So they do have access to libraries. And I'm so glad you asked this question. I, in one of my methods courses, I have students go and um, explore the local library, either in the school where they, the library in the school where they live or near the school um, where they live or the school where they teach. And there are inequities even in the resources at the library, which is one of the reasons that um, we give the assignment, one, so that we can share with our students, hi, here are these free resources and their families. But then also as a class, we discuss, well, why did library X not have a children's librarian and library B has one. Why does library C not have a youth librarian and library D has one? And so these are pervasive. They seep through systems. Um, and so and so that's that's what I mean. And as a society, depending on you know your perspective, some people identify some uh, a fundamental skill as like reading and writing. Okay, but for this generation. You know, um, you're asking one group to read and write when they graduate and then another group to code when they graduate. And so, yes, the trajectories, the futures of our learners are different, vastly different. Mm. So some people are learning coding, are they not? Some people are learning coding for sure. Um, and, 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 and there are coding camps that occur in the summer. Um, please, if you hear this, Google it. There are coding camps that occur in the summer but you have to know what you don't know to look right. for these things you don't and know so, what you don't know you don't know what you don't know and so moving up uh, psychologists will call that gordon's ladder moving up from what you don't know what you don't know to what you know what you know um is, is going to be important for communities that's important uh because uh now it sounds like if there are coding camps ch chances are parents can jump on that 
bandwagon and explore. Parents can jump on that bandwagon and explore. And the coding camps are far reaching, I, I must say that, in, in many cases. Oftentimes, those coding camps, though, are near universities, and we know where universities are. They are not necessarily in rural areas, for example, and they're often um, near or, or um, close to metropolitan areas as well as suburban areas. So, so yes. So we do have this situation where the digital divide is a problem. Is it only a problem in the rural areas? So we have lots of data that show that it is certainly a problem in rural areas because of the design of rural areas and the companies that do not reach rural areas. When you're talking and when you're talking about, um, you know, the populace and how our cities are organized, there are even larger gaps in metropolitan areas because there are more people in metropolitan areas. And some of the ways that the solutions are organized are ineffective because there's an assumption that because you make something available, but that people understand how to access it and how to use it, which is false. Um, and then also, if you you know just give people information that they're going to trust that source of information. So there's lots of work to do to close the divide um, from that perspective as well in our our metropolitan and, and rural areas. So what does the digital uh, divide impact most? Um, and how so? What are the consequences of the digital divide? For sure. Um, so, so the consequences of the digital divide, remember it is based on access, it's based on information, it's also based on relevance. So <clears throat> when you think about it both locally and globally, the jobs that will be, um, the, and the readiness that certain groups of students will have compared to other groups of students, from pre-K to 12 are just different. So yes, for example, you may have, you may be the top student in your school. Okay, but what are you learning in your school? What kind of devices are available in your school? And what are the skills that you're able to take away from your school? Because when you leave your school to go to the, either the next school where you maybe you're trying to compete for a spot, um, it can be an art performing arts school, it might be a talented and gifted school, it might be a STEM academy. You're gonna be competing with other students from your area. And the kinds of skills that those students bring compared to the kind of skills that you bring are going to be different. And so this also holds when you're graduating from high school and applying to college, um, the kinds of skills that you will need to succeed as you move up into the world, um, into your jobs and careers. And this is for every kind of career. This is for vocational careers. This is for careers that require, you know, um, advanced degrees. Trying and making sure that we close those gaps remains one of the biggest uh, challenges that I hope, I really hope that we're able to, uh, to, to address. So where do we start? How do we start closing the gap? Sure. So you start closing the gap by having better instruments that identify where the problems lie. So once you have real data, for example, there are three different sets of data, one from the U.S. Census Bureau that gives us one number, another from, you know, different research, researchers and think tanks that give us another set of data. Um, so getting to the real problem, why don't people have access? Is it because they don't want the access um, or is it because they cannot afford the service? So understanding the problem is going to help us get to the solution. 
once we have, for example, an idea of the numbers of people and where these people are, then we can work with our companies, these billion dollar companies um, that are in, you know, um, developed nations that can use their resources aplenty. So ha we, we have the resources, they're just not distributed in equitable rate, in equitable, equitable, excuse me, ways. Um, and so, so finding out the problem, figuring out a solution, working with organizations and um, companies that are, you know, certainly can help um, are, 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 how, are how we can begin to close the gap. Then, and so important, making sure that our educators and our families are prepared to be able to um, invest in our students and give them the skills that they will need to get the jobs that will occur 18 years from now. Not just the jobs of today, but 18 years from now, um, you know, when, when they're competing in, in, a, in a global market. So those are just bare bones steps to get us started. So do you believe that uh, people can uh, basically thrive economically and uh, in the job market without access to the internet? I do not believe that folks can thrive um, in the job market because the information for many of the jobs is on the internet. So you can't even get to step one, just finding out that the job exists. So you can go and fill out your resume to apply for the job because you don't have internet access. Um, and so those are, again, some of the, the steps and some of the challenges that exist in our society, unfortunately, and they don't have to exist in our society. There are ways, for example, I presented in Jamaica not too long ago uh, to a group of teachers. There are like thousands of teachers at this conference and they are coming up with some creative solutions in their classroom <clears throat> classrooms where there will be, it's almost like this little box that will allow teachers to access internet and be able to stream lessons. Um, and the individuals who came up with this idea, this hardware are, um, are actually Jamaican uh, entrepreneurs. And so there are ways uh, we are innovative, we are creative, we are a smart uh, people. And so certainly there are ways to address it, but we absolutely will need internet to do so. So do you have any data that suggests how many people actually are in the United States that don't have access to the internet? Absolutely. So of the, what are we at? 330 million people now over that people, mm -hmm. there are more than 20 million who do not have Whoa, access. Oh my yes, goodness. Yes. That's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. And that's just the 20 million, 20 million people that we have data on. Imagine the other people that we don't have data on. Yes. Yes. And I'm thinking oftentimes you, you hit the nail on the head when you said uh, access to jobs, because many businesses, even municipalities, they have been so online application driven mm -hmm. that uh, that's the way you, you fill out an application to yes. get access, to be part of the pool of applicants. Yes. And yes. Um, for people to fill out a paper application, that's just so, <laughs> such an antique concept. Yes, but, it is. you know, uh, but the filling out the paper application, first of all, that person has to find the job on the Internet and yes. request the paper application by maybe calling the uh, human resources office, et cetera, and going through those steps. So those people are behind those people uh, are by behind. a lot. 
they are in the resource that we don't talk about. We talk a lot about money, right? Because it's important. You know, it's a capitalist society. We understand it's a digital economy, though. And something that we don't mention is time. Time is a resource that you cannot get back. Imagine the speed of the individuals with the internet and different, um, you know, and a faster internet. Faster, okay. yes. Faster internet versus someone who um, is still using paper. Let's take something that folks can relate to, like taxes. We know how long it takes if you mail in your taxes. Whoa. Yes. How long it takes when you electrically file. We know that is just a concrete example of the importance of being able to do things faster. Mm -hmm. Well, then, then there's the, the concern that, uh, uh, the, that, the, that internet connection is often associated with a cost. If you have a, a Verizon bill or a Comcast bill or however you're getting your internet uh, service, it's, it's a cost. And um, some people are paying $200 for cable internet, all of the bundles all together per month. So everybody's not in economic situation where they can a lot costs for that internet access and that bill. So that makes, again, the economic uh, divide even more relevant and I guess more, more concerning in terms of uh, people having access. Absolutely. So, so why is it important to reduce the digital uh, divide in the in the field of education when you're talking about K through 12? So around the country, actually, let me talk globally, around the world, <clears throat> UNICEF published an article that found that more than 250 million children, okay, are still without um, internet access and don't have internet access. So thinking wow. about, thinking about um, developing countries compared to more developed countries um, and the access that developed countries have. And so investing in education is investing in our future. Investing in our children is investing in our future. And the kinds of skills that we want our children to have um, is e extremely critical when we think about where we want them to land. We want them to be able to dream and we want them to be able to reach those dreams. In order to do that, being digitally con uh, connected, there's a social piece to that. There's a social component. Uh, there's an economic component, as we mentioned, and there's a cultural component. So let's think about how we make our digital resources relevant for our learners. And let's think about how we get our learners excited at every age. There are all kinds of free resources You'll see them as Web 2.0 tools. This I use Web 2.0 tools in my professional development around the world. I've shared them in Cuba. I've shared them in Jamaica, as I just mentioned. Um, I've shared them in Morocco. I've shared them in places that have a um, an infrastructure that is not as strong as what we have in the United States. And these are free resources. And the mention the reason that I mentioned that <clears throat> is because there's a lot of literature on what happens in out of school time. And so for out of school time, for families that are you know, at home with their learners at, after school, on the weekends, free resources, Web 2.0 tools um, are, are, are the way to go. So if you Google those, you search for those, uh, you will find some resources that are free for your students. Wonderful. Your 
Now, what's scrolling across our screen right now is a website, your website, ter.ps forward slash ebony, E-B-O-N-Y. And that is how we can get access to you and uh, the work that you do, the wonderful work that you do. And, and, you know, this whole concept of digital divide, I feel like we only touched on a little tiny piece of it uh, because I, I sounds like it's much deeper uh, in the education world than just, um, you know, people have access to the internet versus those who don't have access. Yes. Yes. The digital divide includes not just um, access, but it's also about digital literacy availability and quality. So we we talk about quality education. We know that there are gaps, like as I mentioned, between schools, but we can close the gap. I know we can. I have seen it. I have watched it. And so um, gearing up and pairing with organizations and companies that have these resources, schools have certainly, I have to give schools credit, schools and school systems have really upped the ante on making sure that there are devices more and more devices in classrooms. Of course, they started with secondary learners, um, learners in grades seven through 12, because those are learners that are going into college in their careers. But there are also more and more devices occurring um, and across uh, many of our elementary schools as well. And so um, learning the skills to navigate those devices are really critical. And they're gonna help our learners advance in meaningful ways for them to land um, in the ways that will move them forward for the careers that they seek, the careers that they dream of, for sure. So do you anticipate this is a long-term project in closing the digital divide, or can it be done uh, more expeditiously, especially in the field of education? So the COVID-19 pandemic really exacerbated the divide. With that said, I mentioned out of school time, I've mentioned coding camps in the summer there. If you live near university, there's going to be some sort of summer experience um, that you can apply for, weigh in on. Uh, benefit that's good from. to know. Yes, <laughs> that's um, very good to know. That's for sure. And please remember what I mentioned about Web 2.0 tools. There are other resources that are educational and they're fun and they're games. But I don't want to forget about other kinds of educational opportunities that you can do with your families, like outdoor learning, experiential experiential learning. Um, in my research, I do a lot of work with things that are free that you can study, like the moon and the sun and the earth. And those kinds of um, interests and skills also tie in to the, the kinds of activities and work that's happening in our PK-12 schools. And because science for example, doesn't always have its own space in our early learning in particular. It's a way for us to advance and excite our young learners. That's wonderful. We we have enjoyed you so much, Dr. Shopley. Thank you so much for being a part of being well-informed. We appreciate all the information uh, that you have shared with us today. And we hope to invite you back soon in the very near future. Thank you so much.